welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Whether it's devotional times, family issues, or marriage problems, we want to help you understand and apply what the Bible says in practical ways that produce real results. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Let's Follow Jesus on some of the essentials of walking with Christ on a personal level. May this be helpful to you, and may it also give you truth to share with those you seek to encourage. The title of our message today is Close But No Cigar. Close But No Cigar, the difference between religion and regeneration. Religion and regeneration. Now, it wouldn't have been appropriate to actually bring a cigar, so I brought just a brown piece of candy. But can anyone guess where I read in my Bible this morning? Where was I reading and marking in my Bible? What, what, the name of what book? Ecclesiastes, you get the cigar. The phrase, close but no cigar, they're not completely sure where it came from. It did come from the United States around the mid-20th century when the fairground stalls would have those those things where you'd hit with the hammer and you'd try to get the thing to go up and ring the bell. And it was usually pretty rigged so that unless you were Superman, you weren't going to get uh, ring the bell. But the prize originally given out for that was a cigar. And uh, the first, it was first recorded in print in the script of the 1935 film version of Annie Oakley. But the, the line in the script said, close, Colonel, but no cigar. So a little bit of historical U.S. trivia just to start off. But today we want to talk about what's it like to be close to heaven, close to eternal life, almost there, but not quite there. Close, but no cigar. Salvation through faith in Jesus Christ is a wonderful thing, isn't it? 1 John 5, 11 and 12 says, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. When it says life, it means eternal life, life forever with God in heaven. If you have Jesus, this passage says, you have life. It's not future tense, it's present tense. Eternal life begins here and now. And you either have it or you don't. Many have received it. Others have turned away. But there's a third group of people, those that think they have it when they really don't. How do you know that you have Jesus? How do you know that you have eternal life? There is a difference between being religious and being what the Bible, what we could call regenerate or born again. And we want to look at a couple of truths that the Scripture says. The Bible says you must be born again. John 3, 5 through 7, Jesus himself said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. This is something really big. Now, again, the whole term born again uh, was sort of watered down about 20 years ago when it kind of came up, I don't know, in polls and a certain president that we had and different things. Um, not, uh, 
passing judgment on any of that. I'm just saying that a lot of people today would very quickly say, well, yeah, I'm born again. They have not the slightest idea what it is, but, but they would, they've heard the term and they, they think that uh, identifies them. But Jesus said, whatever it is, you have to have it. You must be born again. Now, who was he talking to there? He was talking to Nicodemus, a religious leader, a very fine man, a moral man, an informed man, a religious man, and he said, uh, you're not there. You haven't been born again. Second point here, you may think you're fine and not be. Matthew 7, 21 through 23, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, can you say the word many? Say it with me. Many, not a few, not five, not ten, many will say to me, to Jesus on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, if that isn't one of the most sobering passages in the Bible, I don't know what is. It says, many will come thinking, I am fine, and I have served in the church and done this. And that, that's really, I mean, if you had actually cast out demons, you would certainly think you were uh, on the train. And he said, uh, there are wonderful things that you could do and still not be born again, still not be truly right with God. He says, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, you who lived your own lives apart from the will of God. You just did whatever you wanted to do. That's one of the symptoms of uh, in the life of even religious people that indicates that they're not there yet. Close, so close, but no cigar. And the third point in the introduction is you and I, as religious people, we need to be brave enough to honestly face where we are spiritually. It's not just a matter of plugging your ears and whistling a tune and say, oh, everything will be fine, everything will be fine, just think positive, think positive, we'll get there. He says, 2 Corinthians 13, 5 says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Examine yourselves, or do you not recognize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless... Indeed, you fail the test. Test yourselves. Examine yourselves. Our tendency is to examine others. He said, take the time to examine your own life. Well, how do you test yourself? How can a person know where they stand? And make no mistake about it, God wants you to know. I used to think, uh, in fact, right when I became a Christian, the minister Presbyterian minister in the evening service, back when they had those things, said, everyone in here is going to heaven, raise your hand. I thought it was a trick question. I was from a different kind of church and where I, I thought, you know, you kind of don't get your final grade until after the course is over and God would weigh your good and your bad. And if you're good weighed enough, you go to heaven. And all my new friends uh, raised their hand. I said, how come you raised your hand? He says, if you've put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you've been born again, you can know you have eternal life. I said, you're kidding. That's great. You know, I'd already asked Christ into my life. I didn't know you, you got heaven too. So that was really great news. But how do you test yourselves? How do you know if you have the Son, if Jesus Christ is in your life, if it's not just close but no cigar? It's not, 
I'm faithful in my attendance. It's not, well, I've actually gone ahead and joined the church. That's not enough. Well, but I've made a profession on my faith. That's not enough. I have Christian parents. Someone said, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. You say, well, if a mouse grows up in a garage, that doesn't make him a car. Yes, but I have very good intentions. That's not enough. I've lived a very good life. That's not enough. I went down the aisle at a church and prayed a prayer. That's not enough. Close, but no cigar. He says, he who has the Son has life. How can you know? First of all, and what most of you have heard for many years, but some may not have, the first question to ask yourself is, have you repented? Have you really turned your back on evil and sin? Luke 13, 3, Jesus said, no, but I tell you, unless you repent, you all likewise will perish. Repentance is the idea of turning around, that you at one point were going this way, doing your own will, pursuing what you wanted, that when you evaluated things, your only question was, well, what do I want what would I like? What would be good for me? And when you repent, you turn your back on that and you turn toward the will of God and say, Lord, what would you want? What would please you? What would bring you glory? That's repentance. It's a turning. Secondly, have you believed? Doesn't mean that you never have doubts, but it's a decision to believe what God has said. John 3.16, he says, whosoever believes in him should not perish. Believe what? Believe that you're a sinner. We like to think highly of ourselves. I am a good person. But the Bible says differently. He says the heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately sick. Do you believe that? Because if you don't believe that, then you don't need a Savior. At least you don't think you do. One, do you believe you're a sinner? Two, do you believe you can't save yourself? Three, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? And four, that his death can save you. Do you believe? Third part of the test, have you asked Christ into your life? There are people that believe it but have never embraced it. Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. He who has the Son has life. Have you invited Jesus Christ to come into your life to be your Lord and your Savior? And fourth, are you trusting in Christ's righteousness alone? Can you say that word with me? Alone. That means I'm only thinking that what's can get me into heaven is what Jesus Christ has done for me and applied to my heart. It's not, well, he's done a, a lot and I'm going to add on my part and then together we'll walk into heaven. No, no, it's just Jesus. His righteousness alone is enough. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, lest any man should boast. When someone gives you a nice gift this coming Christmas, let's just say, wives, that your husband buys you some expensive piece of jewelry. Gives you this expensive piece of jewelry. It's just beautiful, or at least you can exchange it for what would be beautiful. 
That holds me back a lot of times from buying gifts. You know, I just know I don't have good taste. But anyway, let's just say you give this, you get, wives, you get this beautiful gift, and then you say, wait a minute, I, I've got, I think I've got $10. Let me help. He says, no, 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 receive it as a gift. Trusting in Christ's righteousness alone for salvation. Well, that's the first part in the test. Have you actually repented, believed, received Jesus Christ by faith, and are trusting in him alone for salvation? But there's something else. If you really have the Son, if you have really been born again, if you have eternal life, guess what? There will be fruit. There will be evidence. And off of my tree today, I pulled off a dead branch. And if I had more time and we were a smaller group and I'd gotten around to it, I would have brought a bag of leaves and maybe a lemon or two. And I would have proposed to you that let's raise this branch from the dead. And I would begin taping leaves on it. And after I'd taped two leaves on it, I'd say, is it alive now? You say, oh, no, no, no. I got more leaves. Wait. I would tape a few more leaves on it. How about now? Are we getting closer? Nope. It's just as dead as it always be. I know it's missing the lemons. And we'll tape the lemons on there. It says, is it alive now? And you will say, no, it's just as dead as it ever was. You cannot bring resurrection to a plant by adding on leaves and fruit. And listen, friends, you cannot raise a dead soul to everlasting life by adding on good works. It is the fruit. It is not the root. It is the evidence. It is not the cause. So what is, would be the evidence, not the cause, not the, uh, what, what got you going in faith. But now that you do have faith, what things should be evident, visible, and growing in your life that demonstrate something really has happened? The first thing is a hunger for the Word of God. A hunger for the Word of God. 1 Peter 2.2, 2, like newborn babes... Long for the pure milk of the word that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word. It talks about attitude, desire. When you, many of you have had a baby at some point. Some of you maybe have a baby now. And uh, babies don't start talking in the first six months. So how would you know if they're longing for for nourishment and for milk. How, how could you figure that out? They, can't, they don't know the word for milk. They don't know how to say, excuse me, uh, I know you're busy cleaning, but I would just love a glass of milk or a bottle right now. Nope, they just cry and cry and cry and cry. Why? Because they long for nourishment. If you have really been born again, if you truly know Jesus... If God has come into your life, one of the signs, one of the first signs and strongest signs will be you hunger for the Scriptures. Are you hungry for the Bible? Do you have a sweet tooth for the Scriptures? Do you have to tear yourself away? So I'm going to have to go on a diet. I have just been reading too much of the Bible. I've just been memorizing it too much. I'm just thinking about it too much. Stop that. 
I have to get to other things. Or is it the other way around? Oh, yeah, you used to read it, you know, and you have a very pretty Bible, actually. They spent all that money to buy you that thing, and, and it still looks basically unused. We're not talking about a legalistic thing. You have to read this much of the Bible or you lose your, your membership or something. It's a hunger thing, a longing thing, a desire thing. Is that desire in your life? And see, as you test yourself, you look, you just hold these things up. Nobody else is going to do this for you. Well, your spouse might want to. But you just, you just look at your own life and, and, and see, to what degree does this characterize my life? And what does that tell me about me and what I need to do? Second thing, sign of life is there's growth. Growth as a Christian, growth in Christ-likeness. Ephesians 4.15, but speaking the truth... In love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. If you're truly a Christian, you are to be growing. What does that mean? It means changing. It means getting better in your attitudes, in your words, in your passions, in your service, some people among us are very difficult people, and sometimes we get worse, not better. If you're truly a Christian, if Jesus is in your life, it's God's will that you and I grow up in him. Now, I'm just this way, so you just have to love me the way I am. No. What does it say? We are to grow up in all aspects into him, not into me into him, into being like Jesus. Now, how can you know how you're doing in that? Oh, let me tell you, you're not going to like it. But ask the people closest to you, the ones that get the blessing of living with you day to day. And don't just say, well, how do you think I'm doing? Because they don't want to make it even worse by making you mad. And say, oh, you're fine, you're fine. Don't dare tell them. Say, is there anything that you can identify in the last year or if, you're, if you have little faith, say, well, five years. You give yourself a bigger space. Is there anything that you could say, as you know me so well, that my life has changed to be more Christ-like in the last year? Are you growing? Oh, yeah, you used to grow. At first, you grew like a weed, but it's plateaued off. Are you growing? Third, conscience. One of the indications that the Holy Spirit is present in your life is that your conscience is strong, your ability to, to discern good and evil. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14, For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness, for he is like a baby. He is a babe, but solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. You have a sense about what is right and what is wrong. Someone gave the illustration one time in terms of uh, how that works out with movies and said, well, how was the movie? Oh, it was, it was really, really good, except for there were these two sex scenes, but apart from that, it was great. And he says, that, now that's like saying, how was the, uh, the salad that you had at the restaurant? It was great, except for the two roaches I found in there. Do you have a conscience? Is it sensitive? Is the Holy Spirit prompting you to turn the change the channel, to turn it off, to turn away from certain activities, from certain associations. 
Are you sensitive to sin? Submission is an area that sometimes God will speak to you about in terms of uh, somebody you work for. It might be in a ministry context. It might be in a home context. And God has spoken to you about it. Is your conscience sensitive to that? Says, well, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. If you really belong to Jesus, you can't let it go that easily. Say, no, I belong to him. I must do his will. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him and obey him. God has perhaps spoken to you about tithing. That's giving 10% of uh, what God gives you to the Lord's work. And as our pastor says, if you have a problem with giving it here because you think we, we don't use it, well, give it somewhere else. Give it, but give it to the Lord's work. Are you willing to be obedient to the Lord? Does your conscience tug on you? Or with no problem at all, you keep all that God gives you, and you disobey Him, and it doesn't bother you. Is your conscience tender there? You come to the church, and, and there's so many things to keep the church going, and you've resisted all attempts by other people to get you involved in serving. No, 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 I'm just too busy. I'm just not interested. Is your conscience tender that when, when you have an opportunity to serve the body of Christ, you pray, at least pray about it. You may need to turn it down. That's okay. But you're asking the question, Lord, is this from you? I am willing. Fourth, witness another fruit that you are the Lord's. Being willing to identify yourself with Christ, seeking to win others according to the gifts God's given you. Colossians 1, 28 says, Him we proclaim. We proclaim Jesus. How about you? Do you profess your faith? Do you long to be able to help others come to Christ? You may be shy. You may have tried things that didn't go well. Lately, you haven't. It hasn't, just hasn't worked out or whatever. But is the desire in your heart to influence others for Christ in a positive way? Are you asking God every day, Lord, give me the privilege of leading someone to Christ? Would he say to you today, you have not because you ask not? You could lead someone to Christ, but you haven't even been praying for it. Ask him. I wonder today if on your piece of paper you could write down the names of the people that are walking with Jesus Christ today because of your life. It's a good ambition to have, a holy ambition. Before you leave this earth and we plant you out in the cemetery, say, Lord, I want to have passed the baton on to somebody else. Lord, use my life to change the world. Witness. And fifth, love is an evidence, a fruit that Jesus Christ is in your life. 1 John 3, 14 says, we know, say that word with me, we know, what a wonderful word, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. Because we love the brethren, he who does not love abides in death. Funny thing is, all of us think we're very loving people. So let me put it in other words. He's not talking about the people that are easy to love. He's talking about those couple that he, he says, well, I, I pretty much love everybody within reason. But then there are a couple of people that, I don't know, they're just, uh, you'd have to be an Olympic lover to love them. Uh, you know, I'm just a regular love kind of a person. Matthew 6, 12 in the 
in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus says, and forgive us our trespasses. Emma always says trespasses up on the front row, and I'm leading the Lord's Prayer up there. I says, because I'm an Episcopalian by background too. And, and I'm thinking, oh no, am I saying the wrong word? But anyway, it, debts or trespasses or sins, forgive us our sins in the way and to the degree that I forgive everyone else anything that they've ever done against me. Is there anyone today that when you think about that person, your heart restricts and goes cold as you think about them because there's not true forgiveness in your heart toward them? One of the evidences that you have truly been forgiven is that you are more and more able to forgive with all of your heart. To say, as Jesus said about the people who are nailing him to the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. How are you doing on that? And we're not talking about the vast majority. We're talking about the two or three names that come to your mind, that those are the people that you don't feel deserve forgiveness and that you could ever forgive and one of the fruits that Jesus wants to produce in your life is that, yes, to that person, you open your heart and say, Lord, I release them into your hand to the degree I can. I turn them over to you. I ask you to have mercy on them as you had on me. What do they say? To forgive is divine. And when someone has really hurt you, there's something holy and divine about you being able to forgive them. It's Jesus in you doing it. But if you notice a root of bitterness in your heart, then you should doubt your salvation. That is very, very important to God that we come to a place where we can forgive. And as you look at those five different things, hunger for the Word of God, growth, conscience, witness, it's all the things that, how we know we have a live baby instead of a dead baby in the crib. The baby has hunger and cries when it's hungry. The baby is growing. If you have a baby that over three years didn't grow, you'd be very concerned. For conscience, we'll just say it's eyesight. One of the things they do with the baby is they move their finger in front of their eyes to see if they follow the finger. Eyesight witness is a baby learning to eventually speak and uh, share its thoughts. And love, uh, I think of the, uh, in terms of a child, their mobility. Because God has made you to live and move and breathe in His love. I was reading just this morning, and I'll, uh, I wanted to share with you a story about, uh, from the Middle East about someone who came to Christ just that illustrates this whole idea of evidence evidence that a person has truly become a Christian and is walking with God, has eternal life. The man standing at our apartment door had all the indications of a very religious Muslim. I had never seen him before, but I did know the teenager with him, 19-year-old Tahit, who had accepted Christ just two days earlier. The 19-year-old the made the introduction, this is my father, he wants to talk to your husband now. Tahid had just become a Christian about a month before. They'd been working with him for about, a, for about a year. I'll skip ahead a little bit. All this was on my mind as I led Tahir and his father to the balcony to meet with my husband, Ali. 
who was a converted Muslim as well. Back in the kitchen preparing tea, I knew there could only be one reason for the unannounced visit. Within minutes, the secret police could arrive if they were not already waiting downstairs. Tahir's father might even have planned for his sons to murder his uh, converted son, Tahir. Killings like this had taken place in the past, and the convert's head would be placed on a pole for viewing. The local sheriff's report would state that it was an accidental death. This is going on, this kind of thing is going on, even as we speak today. It'll happen this week, this month, this year. This is now there in the Middle East. Fear enveloping me, silently I prayed, Lord, anything is possible through you. Still, the monster of fear gripped my throat. I told myself, faith the size of a mustard seed, surely you can do that. Instantly, my feelings melted into peace. I carried tea to the balcony and withdrew, watching the proceedings covertly. After half an hour, the father rose abruptly and left with Tahir. As soon as they were gone, I asked Ali what happened. Tahir told his fa- has told his father everything, Ali said. He showed him his Bible and explained his conversion. His father said Tahir had been a terror for years. He had been disrespectful, cursed his parents, refused to go to school, and did not want to work. He had vandalized the neighborhood and was a heartbreak to his mother. Finally, his father threw him out of the house. But he said, for the last three months since I've been working with Tahir, he has changed. He is diligent, visits his parents often, and treats them with love and respect. His father couldn't understand the change. After Tahir told him he had been learning the Bible, he began to understand. I was in shock. Does this mean he's not going to turn you into the police? I asked Ali. He wants to bring his older son to learn about the Bible and how to become a Christian. He said, make him just like Tahir. All the air went out of my lungs. Vividly, I recall the night of Tahir's conversion. Tahir had asked for a Christian name. I will call you Andrew Tahir, Ali had said. And a visitor who was with us, Dr. Bruckner, immediately added, and Andrew brought his brother, says in John 141. These words seemed prophetic because now they were going to bring Tahir's brother to hear about the gospel. If you were accused today of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? In a room of this size, there would be five, ten, maybe even twenty that are so close and yet are not born again. Could that be you? Now, there's some people, there's some people that have worried a lot about where they are spiritually. What I have found is the people that worry about it a lot don't need to worry about it. It's the people that aren't worrying about it that have just assumed that everything's fine just because they're coming to church. They're the ones that need to go back and re-examine. If I was accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict me? Is there a hunger for the Scriptures? Am I growing in Christ? Is my conscience sensitive or am I slowly rotting? Am I witnessing for Christ or at least asking God to use my life and trying to find ways where I can share my faith? Am I forgiving the difficult people that God has allowed in my life? Am I close but not quite there? Do I really have the Son? Because he who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's just like this switch right here. 
It's either off or it's on. It's not a rheostat. Well, I'm a 50% Christian and getting brighter. It's either one way or the other. Where are you today? Will you have the faith to test yourself, to examine yourself, to take this piece of paper home if the Lord has touched you in some area and pray about it and carry it with you this week? Say, Lord, I want to be sure, but I, want, I don't want to be like one of those many that come to you in the last day and says, here I am, Lord, aren't you glad to see me? And he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. It's all up to you. No one else can judge you. No one else can evaluate you. But you know you. And you know what? We've only talked about these things today because God loves you so much. He wants you. He extends his hand to you. And he says, won't you grab it? I'd like to spend forever with you. Won't you respond? Behold, he stands at the door and knocks. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And then you can ask him, Lord, change my life. Work in me the life of Jesus Christ. So that when I arrive someday, by the grace of God and because of what he alone has done, you will look at me and instead of saying, depart from me, you'll say, Enter into the joy of my rest. Well done, good and faithful servant. Stand up and let's close with a word of prayer. Lord, we don't want to get so close and miss it. We want to be diligent to be sure. You have so much more for us in our lives. Help us not to settle for a little we want to follow Jesus. And I pray particularly for anyone for whom this message hit a particular chord, that you would help them to hold on to that and hold it before you. And if they need any help from anyone else, because they sort of paint themselves into a corner, that they would talk with somebody, even today, and say, could we get together and talk? I'm, I'm disturbed. I'm concerned. I have some questions. I want to be sure. Lord, do your work in each life. Bless this series that we start this summer. We want to follow Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.